Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Acacia, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despised even of life. Indeed, even in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from, from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Uh, you probably would have received uh, this handout when you came in. Uh, if you don't, there might be some available later on. Uh, it's just a little bit of an uh, outline of the series. It's, we're beginning a series on 2 Corinthians today. It just gives you uh, a map of where Corinth is and Paul's missionary journeys and some background about the uh, book of Corinthians and also a bit of an outline of the series and some tips on how to study uh, 2 Corinthians if you want to do that uh, on your own or as part of a group or something like that. So you might like to keep that in your Bible for the next uh, little while as we go through the book of 2 Corinthians. Well, it's no secret uh, to many, I think, that uh, I have a bit of an affinity for uh, uh, Jane Austen and uh, Jane Austen novels and uh, some of the BBC miniseries as well. Uh, But two of my favourite Jane Austen works, uh, if you can allow me just to wax lyrical about them for a moment, two of my favourite Jane Austen works are Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility. I just love that. I love the titles of those books, uh, and I love the juxtaposition of those two ideas. Those two ideas put next to each other. In Pride and Prejudice, there's the proud Darcy, born into wealth, uh, born into high society, who thinks that everybody who's not born into that society is beneath his dignity. And there's the prejudiced uh, Elizabeth Bennet. Who thinks that everybody who's born into wealth and high society uh, is too proud and too distant from the rest of the world? In Sense and Sensibility, there's Marianne, whose sensibility and emotional fragility draws her into a romance with the wayward Willoughby, overlooking the dependable Colonel Brandon. Uh, 
And there's Eleanor, whose good old common sense makes her the reliable judge of characters. And both those books and those TV series and films and whatever play out those interactions between those two contrasting personalities. Their books, what makes those books interesting and insightful about the world is that they draw these contrasts of people. They're books of contrasts. You see, contrast paints things with bold strokes. It's white against black. And when we see things painted with, with, with strong contrast, we begin to see the individual things for what they are much, much more clearly. We see Darcy's pride more clearly because of Elizabeth Bennet's prejudice. Well, 2 Corinthians is a book of contrasts. Life and death, old and new, true and false, weak and strong. The central contrast is the weakness of Jesus crucified and his powerful resurrection from the dead. And in uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is Paul's letters to the Corinthian church, the church he founded, and what he's doing in that letter is addressing that central contrast of uh, the gospel in Jesus and he's addressing how that contrast, Jesus' uh, weakness in crucifixion and powerful resurrection, how that contrast shapes our lives and our ministries. And over the next few weeks, as you'll see in the handouts, we'll see some of those contrasts played out, worked out in the life of Christians and the church. But the first contrast that Paul begins with is the suffering here in chapter 1, uh, the contrast here of suffering and comfort. He begins with a statement about the character of God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of compassion and the God of all comfort. The Bible describes God in so many different ways, but these words here, I think, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 are some of the most beautiful words about God. Yes, God is a God of love, God is a God of justice, God is faithful, God is truthful. But here for Paul, God is compassionate. Not only a compassionate God, but indeed the father of compassion. God gave birth to compassion, if you like. Compassion springs from him. He is its source, its chief exemplar. He is the God of all comfort. Every comfort, every encouragement that could ever be needed can be found in him. Paul says he comforts us in every affliction, in every trouble, in every difficulty. If we belong to Jesus, there's no suffering where the comfort of God is not present. Whatever suffering you go through, you can never say, well, God, God's, God's comfort is not here. There is no suffering that's beyond God's reach. No suffering which is beyond God's power. You can't say, well, well God might be able to comfort that person in, in that suffering, but this suffering that I'm going through, this is unique. Nobody has ever experienced this before. It's beyond God's power. I cannot be consoled. 
No, because God is the God of all comfort, the Father of compassion. That may not mean that God will take our suffering away. Paul is not saying that. He doesn't say that God is the cure of suffering. He says that God is the God of all comfort. And comfort presupposes suffering. What it means is not that God will take away our suffering necessarily, but that his comfort and his consolation is always a match for our difficulties. So I don't know what you might be suffering at the moment, uh, but whatever it is, God says to you, I am the source of compassion and I am the God of all comfort. Now what's amazing, I think, is knowing that, knowing that God is such a great comfort knowing that he is a father of compassion, what's amazing is that we look for comfort in so many other places, so many other substandard places. So some people turn to sex to find comfort for the troubles of life. Other people turn to food. We talk about comfort foods. which We joke about it. But that's because it's true. We eat to take the edge off our lives. Some people turn to alcohol or to drugs. It might be illicit drugs, it might be prescription drugs. And it might might not be addiction, but we just go to them when life gets too hard, when just, just to take the edge off the difficulty of life. They dull the pain. But those comforts ultimately destroy us if we place our hope in them because they aren't the source of comfort and they can't bear the weight of our suffering. Paul says God is the source of all true comfort and consolation. And even the good gifts of God, which rightly used, bring comfort and consolation. Even the good gifts of God divorced from God himself will be void of the rich and wonderful comfort that God brings through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. Paul says that God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles. But what's so surprising, I think, is what Paul then goes on to say about the purpose for which God comforts us. So he says about his own experience, he and his companions in verse 4, God comforts us in all our troubles. Why does he do that, Paul? Why does God comfort you in all your troubles? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So the purpose of God's comfort for Paul and his friends is not so that it can stop with them. It's not so that they can sort of feel better for a while and say, well, I'm comforted. I have achieved the goal that I was searching for. No, it's so that Paul and his companions can take that comfort and share it with others. It's so counterintuitive, I think, that the purpose of God comforting us is not so that we can be comforted, but to comfort others. 
It's another way of saying that comfort is not an end in itself, but it's a ministry opportunity. Who would ever have thought that comfort is a ministry opportunity? But that's what Paul is saying. It means it's inadequate to be comforted by God and to sit back and to think, well, my work here is done. So your life might be a misery and God comes and he reaches into your life and he comforts you. And if you sort of sit back in your lounge chair and you go, well, that's great. I feel comforted by God. Isn't that wonderful? But then take it no further. Paul's saying, actually, that's not the end of comfort. That's not its purpose. And confrontingly, Paul says, that's true not only of their comfort, our comfort, but also of their suffering. Verse 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for the comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. So not only does their comfort overflow, but so does their suffering and their anguish. They if Paul's comforted, it's for the comfort, of the comfort of the Corinthians. And if they suffer, it's for the comfort of the Corinthians. That reality is grounded in Jesus himself. So Jesus' sufferings overflow into our lives for our comfort. And in the same way, those who follow Jesus also suffer for the comfort of others. So overflowing is the kind of the language that Paul uses here, and it's a really helpful image, I think, to get at the heart of what Paul is saying. So here's the image in verse 5. Imagine that Jesus is like, a, is like a glass, and God is pouring suffering into Jesus' glass. And he pours so much into the Jesus glass that that suffering flows out over the top. And the sufferings of Jesus, if you like, pour into the lives of his people. The sufferings of Jesus overflow into the lives of his people because there's so much suffering that Jesus endured for us. There's so much suffering, but that suffering touches our lives as well. Here's Jesus' glass full, and here's our glass with a little bit of the sufferings of Christ poured in that we experience as well. But God is such a source of great comfort that God comes along and pours comfort into our lives, into our glass, and he pours so much comfort into our lives that that comfort then overflows from us into the lives of others. So suffering is poured into the life of Christ, and comfort is poured into our lives, and that comfort of God overflows into the lives of those around us. It's so important, I think, for us to realise that suffering is a key part of God's ministry of consolation and comfort. You see, I think many of us are happy enough to share in the resurrection of Christ without sharing in the sufferings of Christ. But that is sub-Christian. Many of us are rightly wary of the prosperity gospel, that is, the lie that if you believe in Jesus, you'll live a rich and prosperous life. 
But more subtle is the spiritual prosperity gospel, which says that if you believe in Jesus, your life will be full of comfort and joy and peace without suffering. But that's not true. That's not the gospel. Many of us are surprised when our lives are difficult and when following Jesus includes suffering. And many of us take it as a sign, in fact, that something is deeply wrong if our lives are painful. What am I doing wrong? What sin is there in my life? What is God trying to teach me? But Paul says that the sufferings of Jesus flow into our lives in order that the comfort of God might flow over from our lives into the lives of other people. It's so other person centred, isn't it? It challenges our natural take on God's purposes in our lives. If our life is difficult, the first questions that we tend to ask are what is God doing in my life? What is God trying to do in me? But Paul is showing us that perhaps the better questions to ask are, what is God trying to do through me for the sake of other people? Actually, your suffering and comfort might have nothing to do with you. Isn't that extraordinary? That's what Paul's saying about his ministry. Actually, it had very little to do with him. It was all about the church in Corinth. So when we suffer, a good question to ask is, how can God use me to comfort other people? Or if you feel especially comforted by God, a good question to ask is, how can God use me to comfort other people? It's important for us, I think, to be on the lookout for ways in which both our sufferings and our comfort can be used by God to serve and comfort others. So two things, God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles and his comforts are so abundant that they overflow from our lives into the lives of others. But lastly, how does that happen? How does that work out in practice? What does that look like in life for the comfort of God to flow over from our lives into other people's lives? Thankfully, in the last few verses of this uh, section that we read, Paul gives us an example of one way that that works out. So he shares with the Corinthian church his own experience of suffering and then he goes on to spell out how God is the answer to that trouble and how the Corinthians can respond to Paul's suffering. So look at verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So he begins by outlining the problem. He doesn't want the Corinthians to be uninformed about his sufferings. Why is that? Why does does he want them to know about his sufferings? He wants them to know so that they can share in the comfort that God has given them in the midst of their sufferings. They were under great pressure. 
beyond their ability to endure, Paul says, so that they despaired of life itself. We felt the sentence of death. Paul shares his struggles, his suffering, to build up the Corinthian church. It can be tempting, I think, for us to hide our struggles because they reveal our weakness. But unless our weakness is on display, God will never, people will never see the power of God or the comfort of God. Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed about what we're struggling with. So first of all, he, he tells them about his suffering. Second, in the second half of verse 9, he goes on to talk about the purpose of his suffering. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Why the suffering? Why the sentence of death? So that Paul and his co-workers might not rely on themselves but on God who raises the dead. So here's the suffering. They despaired of life itself and here's the comfort. God raises the dead. God delivered them. God will deliver them again. Paul says no struggle, no suffering is beyond God's power. And he wants the Corinthian church to understand that. So notice that he doesn't leave his story with the suffering. He doesn't say, I don't want you to be uninformed about my suffering. And then kind of go, wow, my life is really tough. And and leave it at that. He transforms the reality of his suffering into an opportunity for the comfort of God. It's so easy, I think, for us to complain about how life, how hard life is. I had a bad, bad week at work, you know, or, um, you know, the kids were, one of the kids was up at five o'clock this morning, um, or, you know, whatever it is. I, I tried to drive somewhere and the tyre blew and I had to change the tyre and I was late. And You know, it's easy to complain, isn't it, about how hard life is. What's much harder is to transform that into an opportunity to minister the comfort of God. But that, isn't it, is what at the end of the day builds people up. It only tears, tears people down to to just go on and on about how difficult life is, no matter how true it is. But to take that as an opportunity to minister the comfort of God, that, Paul says, is a great ministry and a great act of love. Sharing our suffering in order to share our comfort. And then finally, Paul maps out how the Corinthians can respond to his suffering and comfort that he received from God. So the second half of verse 10, on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul teaches them how to respond. They can respond through prayer and praise. They can pray for Paul that God would deliver him and they can give thanks to God that he's heard and answered those same prayers. So God wants us to be a people of prayer and praise and our ministry of suffering and comfort hasn't reached its zenith 
hasn't reached its peak until issues and people established in more praise and more prayer. The purpose of our ministry and suffering and comfort is to train people, to build people in prayer to God and praise to God. As Paul begins this letter of 2 Corinthians about the contrasts of the gospel, he wants to train us to be people who suffer well and comfort others well also. I spent some time this week reflecting on how God is doing that in our community here in the branch, how God is using the sufferings and the comforts of people to comfort us and to build us up. And I want to give just two examples of that in closing. Two examples that I've picked up in recent weeks. I could easily have picked two other examples or many more examples. But here are two similar examples from different people that God has used and is using in our church through sufferings, the sufferings of Christ which have overflowed into their lives and the comfort of God which has overflowed from their lives into ours. So two examples. I hope they don't mind. The first example is the obvious one. Elizabeth Poland shared with us a few weeks ago about the tremendous grief of her and her children in losing James. Great suffering, a testimony to great suffering, and yet the keynote of what Elizabeth said was not about suffering, but about the comfort of God. It was an example of the sufferings of Christ overflowing into someone's life and the rich and abundant comfort of God overflowing from their life into ours. On that same day, my parents and I stopped to talk to John Brown outside church. And John shared his own experience of dealing with suffering in losing Marla. And he shared just briefly how God had strengthened him. Wasn't up the front. No one shared in it but the three of us. And in that moment, the sufferings of Christ, which overflowed into one person's life, and the rich and abundant comfort of God, which overflowed from their life, overflowed into our lives as well. And there are countless examples of people in this church who have suffered deeply and who have rich and abundant comfort from God to offer us. And one of the great joys, I think, of being a pastor is <laughs> that I get to taste more comfort than anyone else. But it's strange, isn't it, 
that so easily when we're, comfort, when we're suffering and in trouble that we turn to the Tim Kellers and the C.S. Lewis's. And by God's grace, God can use those people as their suffering overflows into our lives. But in fact, God has put at our fingertips lots of people, ordinary people like you and me, who have suffered deeply, but whom God has comforted and whose comfort can touch our lives and encourage us as well. No wonder Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows as well. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received. And Lord, so many of us can testify to your rich and abundant comfort which meets our needs, which meets us in the depths. As the waves crash over us, Lord, you reach out to hold us up. Lord, all of us can testify to the reality of difficult life, bereavement, family troubles, work troubles, health problems, depression, mental illness. Lord, whatever it is, we all know those realities too well. And so, Lord, we pray that you would pour out into our hearts and our lives through each other your overflowing comfort that we might taste not only the sufferings of Christ but his powerful resurrection from the dead. Lord, for those among us who are struggling particularly, we ask that you would build them up and give us the grace to minister to them in their sadness and their sorrow. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.